Podcasts are an independent way for podcasters like me to bring a local voice to your ears. At the Spent the Rent Podcast, we strive to raise awareness of topics that affect the often underrepresented. Our title sponsor, Oregon Cashflow Pro, offers free money management advice that can help you take control of your finances. At OregonCashflowPro.com, you will find videos to guide you towards your goal of financial freedom. For more info, there will be a link in the show notes. The following podcast is available on all major streaming sites, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and more. You can now listen to all previous episodes, donate to the podcast, and buy shirts directly from the Spent the Rent podcast at our newly designed official website, strpod.com. Welcome to the Spent the Rent Podcast. I am your host, Patty Rose. My guest today is a member of the Suicide Prevention Coalition of Lane County, Sarah Schofield. Sarah, welcome to the show. Thanks so much for having me. So this is the third time you've been on. Uh, We've become uh, good friends behind the scenes. Uh, I appreciate everything you do in the community. You do some amazing advocacy work, and we're going to talk about a very uh, troubling topic today, but it's a very important cause. So we're here to talk about suicide prevention and what my audience and the Lane County community can do to help. So uh, first we're going to go over some statistics and, you know, you're going to talk on this a little bit, but uh, one of the things on average, uh, an Oregonian dies every from suicide every 10 hours. It is the eighth leading cause of death in Oregon, second leading cause of death for those ages 10 to 24 and this is the startling statistic, and this is why I have you on today, is that in Lane County, uh, we have the highest rate of suicide in the country. And so... In any county per capita. So if you're looking at just the statistical analysis of county, certainly more people die by suicide in other counties with larger populations. But per capita, Lane County is yeah. not, uh, not great there at the top. And we we were talking before we hit record and there was a reason that you wanted me to start with the statistics and explain to that, that to me. So the issue is that people don't understand the scope of this problem. So we have spent decades and decades, really hundreds of years trying to kind of stuff this down in a way that says, well, that's doesn't happen to people or people shouldn't talk about that. Or this is only this, you know, and for a long time, they looked at people who had mental illness as, you know, basically throwaway garbage people in the community. So it didn't matter that people were dying by suicide because screw those people anyway. But now what's happening is when I mean, we lose 45,000 people a year in the United States. So it is literally one of the last true pandemics previous to this one that we're currently living in that has not been addressed in any way by legislation or by really culture. And so I say these numbers to people a lot who are just floored at the possibility that that could be it. And when I started this, I was one of those people. I knew this from a personal standpoint, but I had no idea how many people were struggling. For every one person who dies by suicide, 25 others attempt. Wow. So we literally have millions of people who attempt suicide in our country every year. And what we've done is just swept them under the rug because it's too ugly. And we don't want to think about that. Right. Now you had talked about, you know, getting into this and you've been a guest on the show. We talked uh, at length about your personal story, but I want you to kind of touch on it because I know that some of my guests, you know, are new to the show and may not have heard that episode. And I encourage them to go back and listen to the episodes you were on. We even had you on during the early days of the pandemic, uh, of the COVID pandemic yeah. about, uh, just struggling with mental health, you know, cause it's not all, all your focus isn't only on suicide. It's just mental health as a whole and, and just advocacy group for, or work for that. But tell us a little bit about, uh, your personal story and why this issue is so important to you. So suicide was something that I was introduced to at a very young age. Um, My father grew up in a household with a father who was abusive and 
mentally ill, but <clears throat> in a time when that was not really something that was discussed at all, he was actually the mayor of Springfield, Oregon when he died. He was, it was 1967 and he, um, uh, took his life while he was actively the mayor of Springfield. So oh. they had the whole parade with the flag down Main Street. But of course, it was all, it just was accidentally happened. No accountability that there was a mental illness or that there was a suicide even. And that was a problem for both the community and how they wanted to represent, but it was also a problem for our family. My family's Catholic. So as you know, you know, burning in a lake of fire, not popular to talk about that. So my dad grew up with his experience of suicide. He was 16 when my grandfather died and he spent most of his life kind of just pushing it away without really addressing it. And um, a few years before um, he really started to get into addressing it, he started doing therapy. Ultimately, it was overwhelming for him, the fact that he had all of these things. And so when I was nine, right before I was nine, he died by suicide. Uh, so by the time I was 10 years old, suicide was something that I understood on a level that I think most children probably don't even have any, have any concept of. Um, and when I was 10 years old, I used to tell people that I um, probably won't live to be 45 because that would be, because I'll probably just kill myself. And I look at think of now and I think, oh my gosh, I have a 10 year old little kid said that to me. How horrifying would that be? But as you just stated, the number two leading cause for 10 to 24 year olds. That means we are losing children in elementary school, children that were just like me. And now we're looking at how can we address this? How can we do something? But this, you know, it was 1988. Nobody was talking about any of this. And so I, at the time, 10 years younger than my older brother. And so he was dealing with some mental health issues, got on medication. Um, by the time I was, uh, 20, the symptoms that I started having of bipolar disorder, as you say, um, is, is my current mental health condition that's in my bio. But um, I had been having symptoms probably since I was about 16 without understanding what that looked like. Um, and so when I was 20, I was diagnosed with bipolar disorder, as well as a few other things specifically to deal with the trauma of losing my dad. Um, and so then I kind of joined this mental health journey, trying to figure this out. I definitely was suicidal. I had um, a suicide attempt when I was 21 um, that left me in the hospital for a few days. And luckily, I'm um, okay uh, and was able to kind of regroup and try to find a way to get better instead of just letting this kind of go. And then in 2011, my brother, who was also in this journey with me of trying to find some sort of, you know, comfort in the world as a person living with a behavioral health issue, also took his life. And so that was really what, what was the catalyst of me finding something to do. And I say all the time, I do this work to save lives of people all over our country but I do this work also to save my life right. because the research that's going on, the information we're getting up, we're going to get into talking a little bit about the legislation that's starting to happen. So we're, the ball is rolling at this right. point in mental health. And we're just trying to take advantage of every opportunity we have because for so long, this has been not okay. I always say my grandfather died in 67. It was an accident when my dad died in 1988, it was family chose not to disclose cause of death. And when my brother died in 2011, I begged my mother to put why he died in his obituary. And so my, my brother's obituary actually says that he died of depression. So that's the growth that we're seeing. And right. we're just trying to keep, keep that energy and momentum behind that right now. Yeah. And, you know, and I'm pretty open about this too. We talked about this when you were on the first time, you know, that, I grew up, my mother was hospitalized uh, after attempting to take her life and she had multiple attempts. She dealt with PTSD from childhood abuse and sexual assaults and just, you know, a litany of, of issues. And so it was a lot of different things that was compounding on her. And then there was a time when I was miserable and, and using alcohol and, and whatnot and intoxicants that I tried to take my life. And so 
I, I mean, it's a tough, it's a, it's a topic that's really near and dear to me. And, uh, and that's why I really appreciate what you do. And I've also been somebody that really encourages dialogue and just talking about things and, and normalizing yeah. it. You, we've talked about that off air, that normalizing it is so important. And so that's what we're here for. There's going to be a lot of stuff we're going to go through. Uh, like you said, legislation, some of it gets kind of wonky, so bear with us, but, uh, appreciate everybody listening. And this is going to be a heavy topic, but it's something that needs to be discussed. So yeah, stigma and that yeah. normalizing. I mean, we've essentially forever just uh, put people who have mental health conditions in a less than box. Right. So normalizing it, recognizing it is first. There's step. some high profile people. I've, I'm a big sports fan, you know, and the mm-hmm. owner, Jim Irsay of the Colts is doing a really good. Uh, this isn't suicide specific, but it's mental health. And he's doing yeah. he is a billionaire and he talks about how he struggles with mental health. I think that's great. Yeah. And then you have. Uh, you know, Kevin Love and uh, uh, Demir DeRozan, uh, that basketball players that have talked about it. So there's there's people that I admire and, and, and they are making it more uh, normalizing it by saying, look, no matter what, you can be the wealthiest of wealthy or you could be, you know, and still deal with this. So let's get into it, though. So the the group that you work with primarily is the Suicide Prevention Coalition of Lane County, the SPCLC. The big thing you were here to, to promote today uh, is an upcoming event and free training programs that are via Zoom. Uh, explain to us what's going on with that. So um, I work with two separate organizations that work well together, but this Lane County um, issue, as as you said, is is you know overwhelming. So the things that were our focus in the SPCLC um, is on training and outreach and getting resources to people uh, that need it. And as you said, you know, young people are definitely um, on that list. Um, We need to be able to reach out to them as well as others in the community who just don't know. So um, big thing that we're doing and with the pandemic, this is all online and free. So this this addition of kind of this unfortunate circumstance creates an opportunity for people to get more training for, um, intervention type work. So essentially it's like the idea of first aid, um, you're not really teaching them to be mental health professionals. You're teaching them how to deal with a crisis situation where you can get somebody to it. So the program that we use is called QPR and that's question, persuade, refer. So question, asking people, are you thinking about killing yourself? Which for a long time was looked at as triggering, as possibly putting something in their mind, um, as you know, bringing up something that would be dangerous for them to talk about. And what we know is that um, it's not. So what we know is that when you present a question like, are you feeling suicidal to a person who is suicidal, it is almost always received as wow, somebody is noticing this, somebody's actually willing to help me, please, yes, I want to find out about what I can do. The persuade for the P, I always say, it's more like P for possibility because really the persuade piece is, hey, there is a possibility for you to live a life worth living. There is a possibility for you to find a way that your life just doesn't make you want to kill yourself anymore. <laughs> whether that's getting into treatment, whether that's creating a better community, whether that's you know connecting with a specific therapist or whatever, basically kind of bringing them into the fold in a way that says, hey, you don't have to feel like this. You don't have to be just on a downward path. And so then the R in that is refer, which means it's their job not to tell people how to improve their mental health. They're not professionals. It is their job to say, hey, let's get on the phone. Let's find somebody. If it's a huge crisis situation or there's like imminent danger, that might look like calling the police or here in Eugene Springfield, calling cahoots and getting them involved. Um, And so what this training does is just kind of it's a 101 to suicide prevention. um, And we are doing those trainings very regularly. And you can get that information at the website Um, which will be linked here. But currently what we have is coming up on February 1st and February 16th are the next ones that are available. And we can take up to 30 people in each of these classes. So all you have to do is go, if you click that, um, you can go to the Eventbrite page that's got the invitation, click it, and there's no charge for you to do that. And as long as there's enough room, which 
there pretty much is on all of them, then you can come. It takes about an hour and a half. It's a PowerPoint presentation and we do some interaction, but mostly we're just kind of giving the overall gist um, of how you can talk to people and how you can kind of normalize this for people. So, uh, and that's, sorry. You mentioned the website. So the, the, the website will be in the show notes. Uh, for Suicide Prevention Coalition of Lane County, but also the Facebook page. The social media link will be in the show notes. And I always feel like... So, sorry, I don't mean to interrupt you, but but we don't have the social media for the QPR and the the Lane County piece. I have social media for the next thing we're going to talk about, which is the American Foundation for, uh, for Suicide Prevention. The social media piece with the Lane County is that we're getting ready to develop that and we're looking for more volunteers that have information, knowledge of social media to help us get that set up. Where is the event being promoted? Is it being promoted a lot on social media currently? It is being promoted on social media, but from a personal level. Okay. So there's like 30 or more members of the coalition. And so we are able to pro- post that. So one place on social media that you can go that you will always find all of this is the page that I run Um, which is Suicide Prevention Eugene, and that is on Facebook. And if they go in and like that, I always post training information and any um, work with AFSP that I do. That's what I'm looking for. Because what I I was going to say is is that with social media, you're essentially signing up for uh, an email chain, kind of, you know, because you're signing up Mm -hmm. to get updates. And I think it's really important because these things, if it's something that you're passionate about or you want to help with, it just keeps popping up and it gets, it it reminds you that, oh crap, I got to act, you know, I got to do stuff. So Remind me one more time, say that Facebook page again. So it's Suicide Prevention Eugene okay. is sure. the page that I run. Um, and that's because it's uh, it's kind of a blanket, anything goes. It's my, it's my own page that I run. Um, whereas with the foundation, that's like an official, you know, sure. the, the organization's running it. And, and with the coalition, ultimately, that will be the case as well, that there will be specifically coalition pages, but um, I'm always promoting that stuff. And like you said, the more it's out there, the more people see it, the more people are reminded that it's an issue, the better. Right. So you had mentioned uh, wanting to reach out for people to help with social media. Uh, Where would they go for that? So I think that probably the best way to deal with this at this point would be to contact me directly. Um, and I, and I think, I don't know if you already have this, but putting my email in that bio is great. And I totally appreciate that. And I'll give you that. Um, but I essentially, what we're trying to do is get people who are really familiar with these things, um, because we have a few people, but, um, in my opinion, younger people need to be on board. So, um, I completely, I mean, we'd like to have people 18 and over just for, um, essentially safety at this point um, for us to, to not be putting, uh, I guess we just really need to vet children and youth better to make sure that it's a safe way and that they understand um, how they need to be doing that. And ultimately we'll be bringing those people um, and those populations in, but anyone who knows how to use TikTok um, would be super helpful at this point. Anybody who has experience and is willing to do such simple things as be an editor. So when you see a comment that comes up that is not okay, which we know in social media, that's going to happen, then maybe your job is to be the Facebook monitor who, when that shows up, you know, you check it every morning and those, you know, there's some nasty troll in there, you delete those posts and block that person and then move on. So there's kind of a bunch of different pieces. Um, What we're doing right now is trying to reach out to the adult population with the understanding that the very next move is the youth population. And there is some stuff going on um, as far as legislation and stuff that helps young folks. Um, But we kind of have to start somewhere and get it established. And then we can start looking at that, um, to add on. We were going to get to the legislation, but this, you, you mentioned it in something I was going to bring up later, but you know, teenagers, I mean, what do you, what do you tell a parent that how to talk to their kids about suicide? So it's tough, but again, it's about normalizing this. It's about the conversation not being 
you should not be feeling like that. We are panicked that this is happening. And rather, we understand that this stuff happens, that this stuff comes up. I mean, I was a suicidal teenager and I look at it. I mean, I was a, sui- I was a suicidal middle schooler. Sure. And I look at it now and I think, what would it have looked like if my parents were just open to this conversation? Of course, my mother had this experience with suicide with her husband. She was terrified of the topic. She absolutely would not want to bring it up with me. She would feel like she was triggering me or that she wouldn't know what to say. And so I think a huge part of it is just saying, um, we know that this is going on. How are you feeling? Kind of opening up that conversation. The other thing with kids, and I really think with everybody is, nobody really wants to be told what to do. So when I do these trainings and when I talk to people, I tell them it's more about listening than it is talking. It's more about asking, how can I support you? It's more about checking in and letting them know that you're ready to move. So sometimes that looks like you needed to do your research, mom and dad, you needing to figure out what's a, where's a counselor that I could take my kid to that my insurance covers, or, you know, what's the phone number for the suicide hotline. Um, That is actually one thing um, that's really cool about the national lifeline, which is that they don't just help people who are in crisis for suicidal ideation. They actually can talk people through that conversation who have someone they love that's in crisis and they don't really know what to do. And the people on that phone line will literally sit with you right. and your person and talk with you and give you the resources you need and help to know that. Um, and then there's also some other programs. So if you're interested in that, um, there's a program that's uh, mental health first aid, and that's similar to QPR, but they have one that's specifically for youth. So it gives a lot of information um, about how to talk to kids about it. And I think the big thing is, and and I say this all the time, if you are an adult in our culture, you have absolutely no idea what it feels like or looks like to be 15 today. Right. And we have to let go of the idea that we're protecting them by keeping them away from these things because we all know there is no keeping them away. So for me, I look at things like social media. I know that there's been issues um, on like TikTok of people putting up videos that are, um, you know, very, very inappropriate with very graphic things that we would not think were safe to be out there. Um, but it happens because sure. trolls, because people are terrible. And, um, and so for me, it's about how do we get in there? If I'm going to have some 15-year-old scrolling through TikTok and they're going to see some awful troll, I want to know that the next post that they see says, hey, are you thinking about suicide? Here's the phone number to call. Or here's, they have a text line that is uh, 741-741. And then you can just text. And it's the same as far as the, if you're not the person and you're just trying to, um, you know, work with another person, you can text that together. Um, But we're trying to get, mostly just people. And I find that what's in the way is adults having the idea that they know better than these kids. Right. And that's the, just the big thing, true. you know, I mean, for teenagers, I'm sure a lot of it is that what you want with TikTok or wherever the resource is, is you just don't want to make sure that these kids don't feel alone. You know, that Absolutely. they're not the only person, to, anybody yeah. at any age, Absolutely, it's isolation, especially with this pandemic, you know, it's a lot of people are very isolated. I can't imagine what a kid we'd be going through right now, not having the social interaction in school. The only reason I went to high school is because there was girls there. So, so, you know, and like you were talking about, as far as like what's in the culture now, um, people like Billie Eilish is a great example. You know, there's other people that are doing that, but what I always say, and and no offense to her and her abilities, because I think that she's fabulous, but I always say, Billie Eilish didn't win a hundred Grammys because she's the most amazing person that's ever been a performer. She won a million Grammys because people connect to her because she's real, because she's willing to say something. And what she's saying, millions of kids are identifying with. And that's what I think is so important is we spent so much time treating children and young people like they're, um, you know, weak and, and not able to take care of themselves. And maybe for me at 42 years old, maybe that was true at 15. Maybe I really needed that support, but the world was different. 
It's sure. just different. They're exposed to so much. They're way more mature than, or at least way more like understanding of the world than right. certainly I ever because was. There's such a reach to the outside. I mean, we, yeah. I didn't even Huge. know who the mayor was, you know, when I was mm -hmm. so uh, you had mentioned the phone numbers and tell us what's happening with call 988. So this is really, really exciting legislation. So there was uh, legislation passed some years ago that says that they're requiring the government to fund and move forward on changing the suicide hotline that's the national lifeline from 1-800-273-8255 or 1-800-273-TALK, if you will, to 988, which essentially is 911. Right. Um, and what we this bigger picture of this concept that um, as you know is called currently defund the police which isn't really the it wasn't really what we're doing it's really more about putting the funds into places where the police don't have to do every job but so what this particular thing does is the first step in my opinion so you get in a car accident you call 911 someone's breaking into your house you call 911 the police, and emergency people come to that. If you have a person in your house that's suicidal or if you are suicidal and you call 911, you are not getting anyone who has an understanding of how to deal with someone in suicidal crisis or somebody who is having mental health problems. And in Eugene and Springfield, the Cahoots through White Bird is an amazing program that helps to kind of facilitate that between the person and the police but we are like, I think there's like five in the whole entire country. Like Cahoots is an example that people are following to try to create these programs. So then when this gets all done, which we should have this all rolled out where cell phone companies are all on board, where these things are all now available, essentially in your emergency contacts, it's going to give you the option to call 911 or call 988. And so now we end up getting people who are in mental health crisis directly to crisis counselors who understand who that's their job. Police have a lot of amazing jobs that are very, very important to have right. in our communities, but expecting them to be behavioral health professionals and also law enforcement professionals is totally inappropriate. And we've done that in a way that's just piled on more and more requirements for the police, 911 dispatchers, paramedics, uh, firefighters, all of those people, you know, like I said, they have an absolutely 100% reason to exist. We're not trying to take away 911, but there is no training. My, my cousin is a firefighter EMT. He gets some information because he knows me and he's kind of aware of the situation, but certainly they don't get training. I mean, maybe if they get training in suicide or even mental health stuff, it's like an hour long training for their whole career. Right. And so 988 just gets people to the right place because when you are dealing really, I think with any mental health crisis, but specifically for me, obviously people who are suicidal that are in a position where they now have gone from, I'm just a burden to people. Nobody loves me to this is so painful, it would be less painful for me to die. Once we get to that place, one bad thing will stop us. If I called 911 and the dispatch lady wasn't nice, and maybe she wasn't even not nice, she was just busy and short with me on the phone, I'm done. Screw this, I'm out. Like It's one of those things where we need to make it the easiest possible route from I'm freaking out to I'm getting help because folks that are suicidal are already at their wit's end. They're already on the ledge. And so making it easier by using that direct. And I think it's really cool that the 988, I mean, it'll be available. You know, you call, you can call that and it's just exactly like an emergency line like 911, which again comes with normalizing this in the country. Also with 988, would it be, uh, you can have, if someone in your household is, is acting suicidal, but also the person themselves, you know, you know, I don't, I don't know if anybody, <laughs> I don't know if anybody that's trying to commit suicide, uh, 
were trying to take um, their life would call 911. You know, I don't know how often that would happen. So, um, yeah. So here's the thing. First thing, and, and uh, I just have to say this because language matters. And one of the things that we're really trying to do is move away from the word commit right. to died by suicide um, or kill themselves. Commit just gives the idea that they're somehow, uh, you know, committing a crime. It's like, looks like it's a choice of not of someone who is desperate, but rather a choice of someone who's trying right. to, you know, do something. So, um, so that's important, but I think you're right. People don't call 911 who are in crisis very often, but people who are dealing with someone in crisis very often call 911. Right. Um, just as a personal aside note, um, when I attempted suicide, I did call 911. Um, however, I did I called 911 after I had already done the sure. act that put me in the place I was and I don't know, I don't remember calling sure. I was not conscious right. and so um, most of the time what we're dealing with and and you can see it I mean it's throughout the country it's been covered a million times I mean this is happening all the time someone is in in mental health crisis whether that be out on the street or in a home or wherever people feel afraid of what's going on. They call 911 and that person ends up shot, ends up in prison, right. um, ends up hurting themselves more because the truth of it. And, and, you know, I was saying the other day, I had a situation at my house that was totally unrelated to me, but there was something going on in my behind my house and a police officer came to my door to try and check to see what was going on. As a person who is not committing any crimes in any way, there's no reason for me to be worried about the police. Both myself and my husband were like, why are the cops here? Oh my God, Like this is right. terrifying, what's happening? So when you're a person who is in crisis and you have a police officer, what are police officers made to do? They're made to control the situation and they're made to protect themselves. So... Right. Unfortunately, in a, in the case of someone who's schizophrenic, who may be having an episode where they have no idea where they are, who they are, they're freaking out. They are at scary risk. looking yeah, to police. You know, and, and police are scary looking to them. Sure. And that's what I was trying to say is that 988 is encouraging because I think with, ad, uh, uh, with pr the government in doing promotional tools and whatnot, making it kind of like this is something that's supposed to help. You know, you know what I mean? Like that they can present it in a, not an enforcement kind of way. This is a health thing that we're trying to help. So if mm -hmm. we can kind of eliminate some of the stigma. And I, I mean, you touched on it, but we're not trying to attack police. I think that there's obviously the, the defund the police has been a very, very difficult slogan for a lot of people to wrap their heads around. But I, I mean, it's got the conversation going and that's the when it's effective because we're right. trying to... Uh, reallocate funds and all these different things. But I mean, who's going to hold up a sign that says reallocate funds, reallocate right. funds, you know, and the way that I look at it and the way I pitch it, because I absolutely know um, in a lot of, I mean, certainly I have my ACAB, my defund the police friends like that exists. Sure. But as a general population, you know, I'm not talking to my mom in that way. The way I'm talking to my mom, the way I'm talking to other people who are afraid of this concept, who feel that defunding the police means we're abolishing the police. Right. What I say is, this is not about hurting police and firefighters and EMTs. It's about not making them be the people who have to do every single job. Like, they're not trained. So it's more about supporting the police force. And, you know, the... The thing is, is that suicide prevention isn't all, isn't just what we're talking about. Suicide prevention is feeding people who are food insecure. Suicide prevention is housing people who are unhoused. Suicide prevention is educating people. So there's a whole bunch of things that we need to do to raise this up. And the idea of defund the police is really about what happens if we put some of those funds into school counselors, into um, homeless shelters or, you know, rehousing people, all of those things. So, yeah, it's not about fighting against the police. Right. It's about making the police better. And, and one thing I, you know, I say is uh, all the time is you get you got to get to the right place. So if you were having a heart attack, you wouldn't go to the podiatrist to get that worked out. 
like that's not how we do. So people have specialties, people have certain jobs. You know, when my plumbing is screwed up, I don't call an electrician. So when you think about when my mental health is failing, I want to talk to somebody who understands mental health care, not to somebody who has no training in that. Right. And that brings up, you know, we had talked off air a little bit about uh, mental health workers and there's something being rolled out uh, where there's benefits to healthcare workers who get advanced training dealing with uh, marginalized communities. Can you so, talk about that a little bit? Yeah. So they're just in, been introduced um, in the legislation here in Oregon. One of them is essentially um, offering extra benefits to people who are willing to go through mental health education and then choose to um, put their practices in communities that are underserved. So people of color, um, the indigenous population, just the black community, um, those are a priority because what we're seeing is that they are all underserved populations all over Oregon. So it just incense people who are looking to go into mental health um, to do that into those communities and by a bunch of different ways. So some loan forgiveness stuff and and some other stipends and and things like that for um, just encouraging. And, and, you know, we have a a trouble with mental health professionals and physical health professionals as far as how many we have and how many we need. You know, that's a whole other conversation around student loans. But um, essentially, that particular thing is looking at that. And then the other part, which is another bill, is about behavioral health um, staff is not currently required to have any additional training on suicide prevention than the small section of their actual, like the class that they had for eight hours while they were in school. And then continuing education is definitely not required. It's recommended. And what we know, you touched on this a second ago, this is moving so fast. We have momentum in the mental health um, fields and we are learning so much and creating so many more opportunities. And so the idea that if you were got your license to be a counselor 20 years ago and you've never ever had to look at suicide prevention, um, what's currently going on, you'd be way out of touch. So what they did is they passed a bill that recommended this. And um, unfortunately, as we've seen here in this COVID pandemic, the difference between recommending people do stuff and mandating people do stuff is huge. So what they're now doing is trying to get laws passed that say, you have to, this is part of your license, this is part of your job. And um, it's actually, I'm glad I'm talking to you because um, there are industries like your industry as a barber where you're required to do additional things later on. So you have to be able to provide like you're being safe and you know what all of the current requirements for sanitation and, you know, whatever. Tattoo artists are another one. I mean, I work at a store where I, you know, sling jeans and sweaters and there's trainings that come up that we have to take. And so what happens is that community pushes back because they don't want one more thing to do. They don't want to have to be required because then that feels like we're somehow encroaching on their rights to just live their lives. And so we're fighting it in legislation to say that's important. And one of the things that this is something that is, it, it feels like it's would never ever happen, but I will tell you a brief story about why this is so important from my perspective. So um, I was working with a psychiatric nurse practitioner during a time where I was having a lot of med issues. I was having rapidly cycling through my bipolar mania and depression because my meds weren't working. So I um, was having a problem sleeping and I had been not sleeping for about three days and I was in, you know, pretty heavy crisis. You know, you start not just not sleeping alone can get you there. Um, so I called her office, talked to her receptionist, said, hey, I need her to write me a prescription for something that can help me get to sleep. Okay. Nothing happens. The next day, now I'm on day four of not sleeping and I'm barely function. Like just speaking is not even working anymore. Like my brain is gone. I should definitely not be doing anything except sleeping at this point. 
So I call back. The woman at the office says, oh, I'm sorry, I forgot to give her the message. So an, a receptionist in an office dealing with psychiatric patients, um, and she just accidentally goofed when the girl told her, um, I haven't slept in three days and I'm feeling like I'm going to kill myself. So that day she says, oh, absolutely. I will get um, the, the uh, practitioner to send you in a prescription. I tell this woman on the phone, I am like minutes away from killing myself. Like I am completely incapable of thinking straight. If I don't get this medicine and get to sleep, I am not certain I'm going to make it through this day. So she's very aware of that. So I go to pick up the prescription at the pharmacy and she's written me an entire 30-day prescription of a hardcore tranquilizer sleeping pill to a woman who literally just right. told her that she was suicidal. And I remember standing in the pharmacy, the pharmacist handed it to me and I was just shaking. And I said, why did she give, why did she give me so much? And the pharmacist, you know, they can't do it. She says, she well, that's what the prescription was. Sure. And luckily I was a person who had been down this road. I had attempted suicide previously. I'd been in the hospital. I kind of knew what that looked like. And I drove to my friend and I took two of them out of the bottle and I handed her and I said, I will call you tomorrow if I need more, but I do not need to have 30 yeah. of these pills. And so coming away from that, what I realized is, sure, this woman had training around how to med manage for people who have mental health issues, but she was so clueless to what to do with somebody who is suicidal that she literally handed me a loaded gun. In the yeah, middle of a suicidal crisis. It, and she's trying to do you a favor because she's like, oh, I'm sorry that we spaced it. You don't have to come back. We'll make it convenient. But essentially, that could have been it. Yeah. Wow. So that happens wow. all the time yeah. to people. Like I said, this is not I went to my primary care doctor with assuming that they don't have much information about mental health, which that's the next step is to get doctors that aren't behavioral health doctors required to do these things. But when you're seeing someone who is a psychiatric nurse or doctor, you assume that they know. And we have, yeah, I mean, it's just, it's just not a thing. They just oh. don't have to. And hopefully they will soon. And, you know, I get frustrated because they push back. And every time somebody says, well, we're just so busy, we can't. I'm always like, this is not appropriate. But I say, sure. all I want to say is 45,000 people, bitch. Right. Like, I shouldn't have to argue with you around the loss of 45,000. Like, this is not a five people died by suicide, and now we are really pushing. Like, this is thousands of people a day, well, yeah, like you said, every 10 hours in Oregon. You know, I, know, I know that people are passionate about veterans, and is it 22 a day is what they say about veterans, you know? And, and up to 23 a day now. Yeah. So, and yep. I mean, you know, we didn't even really get a chance to talk about that part of it is, is the veteran oh. and, and it's a massive part of the epidemic, you know? And so, yeah. So the event is really important to rehash and go over again. Uh, you said, it. tell me again where people can turn to find out information about the event. Okay. So aside from the Lane County training stuff, what the American Foundation for Suicide Prevention is doing um, is essentially going to the legislators sitting with them and saying, we see all this stuff we're talking about right now. We see that all of these things are up for vote and we want you to vote for them. So we're asking for you to sponsor these bills or support them. Um, and in the past, the last few years, we've been able to actually go to the Capitol, sit down with these legislators. Of course, this year is not an option. So we're gonna be doing this virtually. So what that looks like is on February 15th, 9 a.m., on the Facebook Oregon chapter of AFSP's Facebook, and it will be streamed also on YouTube and Twitch and I don't know where else, but if you go to the Facebook page, you can get the links for everything. Um, and what we're doing is having a advocacy day where we have some guest speakers and um, myself and some other folks that have participated in these advocacy days before are gonna kind of talk about what that looks like. And unlike in the past, when we've had those um, folks and those advocates actually sit down, because we aren't able to do that this year, all of what the public can do is sit in for an hour 
on this Facebook advocacy day. It's state capital day um, on February 15th. And then you can learn information about what's out there and specifically what you can do even if you don't have a million hours a day to be able to com commit to this stuff, you can actually be doing some things, um, both just in your community as a person, how you talk to people, what you talk about, but also we can communicate with Congress people. You know, it's for the people. So we want to make sure that if you want to contact or write a letter or whatever to your legislator from your district, that you know what it is that we want them to do and also you know how to ask for it right so now suicide prevention eugene on facebook is your personal page and i really encourage everybody listening to follow that one because you're going to be sharing all of the other sources and so it encompasses a lot because you're very passionate about this topic and doing a ton of work in the community and so thank you for that first of all uh so yeah for everybody listening follow that uh you know I really appreciate all the work you do. I can't say it enough. Um, we're going to get out of here, but we're going to play a song. And so one of the things, the silver lining of living with a lot of pain, that, that there's a lot of uh, things about mental health struggle and all that. It can create beautiful art, you know? And so you, Absolutely. your whole family is extremely musical. You're a singer. Uh, and, and so you chose a song for this and tell us a little bit about the song. This is a relative, correct? So this is my band. So this okay, was your, my band. Yeah. And my brother, who uh, who I mentioned, who died by suicide, JP, um, was in uh, a band with me, was our bass player. And we wrote a lot of stuff. And there was a, a period of time before he died where he was in really great shape. Things were working out. He was got the right meds. Everything was good. And so this song he wrote during that time. And um I like it because it's about, it's called life's taking a turn for the better. And that's a conversation that I think people get stuck in, which is I'm never going to get out of this. I call it the always nevers. I always have felt this depressed. I'm never going to not be depressed. Right. And the reality is that this is a process. And so he um, was doing really well and he wrote the song and I love there's one line where he says, but my recent love affair with life is on account of psychotropic drugs. Yeah. When he's yeah. just, just basically the moral of the story is you don't have to be sick. You can get help. Sure. It's going to be something you have to manage, but this isn't something that we have to just quite literally lay down and die because we right. are mentally um, being challenged. And so this song I like because it comes from a place of, um, like you said, silver lining. And this is written by somebody who um, once said to me, well, I guess I'll go ahead and play this show because it's better than hanging myself. Wow. Like yeah. this is a person who was blackly depressed and then had moments of years, I say years of time where he felt good and wrote about that being great. That's the scary thing about this whole thing is that, you know, you get people, Anthony Bourdain, for example, lives the just the, one of the most amazing lives, you know, and, and there's so many high moments, like peaks and valleys, peaks and valleys. One, one thing mm -hmm. I always talk about, not to get off point in my recovery from alcoholism is, is that there's just the even keel aspect of my life is what is rewarding today is that the, I've kind of been able to find a balance and that I'm like, okay, if I have a bad day, it's okay. You know, and mental health is not a destination. You know, it's not like we're going to get somewhere and things are going to be good. Mm -hmm. It's like, it's going to, I'm going to focus on today. Yep. You know, and so. It's the uh, difference. The goal is the difference from I'm up, I'm down, I'm up, I'm down. Right. To I'm up, I'm down, I'm up, I'm down. I'm right, right. Right. It's okay to have bad day or, or good days, but yeah. But yeah, the song is really fun. And, and it's, it's, I like how it doesn't beat around the bush. It's still got the truth in it you know it's not just like oh my gosh things are great it's it's i'm gonna take this day and enjoy it kind of thing mm -hmm. so yeah jp schofield uh, with life's taking a turn for the better so sarah schofield county country all-stars jp okay jp schofield singing for the wapner county country all-stars okay and I'll, I'll, <laughs> I'll edit that in the show notes yeah so Wap wapner county all country all-stars awesome group 
Uh, yeah. So Sarah, thanks a lot for doing this and thanks for everything you do. And I'm going to end this with a song. You're very welcome. This is Life's Taking a Turn by the Wapner County Country All-Stars. Well, love is something I don't want to live without. And the music helps a lot. I say without a doubt. Friends I've made have really meant a lot But this recent love affair with life is On account of psychotropic drugs And life's taking a turn for the better I can feel the sun upon my face I turn for the better I appreciate all the little things I should I turn for the better possibilities I couldn't see before I've been revealed to me as if the captor of my mind Opened myself door wide and walked away Hey! It's impossible to prove There was something really wrong with me On the outside I looked happy to you Inside I was suffering I refuse to argue with you Subscribe to your point of view And although you were well-intentioned I tried all your suggestions, still I was blue And life's taking a turn for the better I can feel the sun upon my face A turn for the better I appreciate all the little things I should A turn for the better Possibilities I couldn't see before have been revealed to me as if the captor of my mind opened my cell door wide and walked away. Let me out of here!